0: Come on, somebody say amen right there. Yeah. Hey, it's so great to see everybody here at church today. Uh, You kind of know the routine by now, but I always like to look in the back of the room before we jump into the message, into those cameras, say a great big hello to our extended family in the greater Washington, D.C. area. We are one church in two locations, and our second campus is just 25 miles north of the nation's capital. So all of you at Go Church in Germantown, Maryland, we love you. We say hello to you. Come on, can you welcome them? Say hey to everybody there yeah also want to say hello to all of you that are watching online we don't want to miss acknowledging you and your online presence so if you're traveling today or maybe you're homesick, or perhaps this nasty weather has kept you away uh, we welcome you today we also always always love to give honor where honor is due to all of our first responders that might be watching and our incredible military come on we've been praying for all of you this week come on can you say amen we bless you we honor you whoever you are wherever you are thanks for jumping in and tuning in online with us today excited to have all of you here so we are in a series that we're doing called family matters and if you weren't here last week no worry at all you can jump back online uh, you can watch the replay of that message or you can even download the podcast and i encourage you to do that because as much as i'd love to spend some time you know recapping uh, some of the content there's just too much from last week and too much from this week uh, for us to sit here together in that period of time. So make sure you jump back online and you check out week number one of this series. But honestly, we get the title from the old TV show. You know, the TV show that came out late 80s, early 90s, Family Matters, Steve Urkel. Come on, how many of you know who I'm talking about, what I'm talking about? Love the TV show. That's when TV was good. Come on now, right? But but it took me a while to really understand it. And if I'm being honest, it it was in my adult years that I learned the double meaning behind you know, this title of the TV series, Family Matters. Think, think about this with me, Fa- family matters. The troubles in the family, the conflicts, the issues, the difficulties, the stress, all, all those matters. And you, you and I, we, we deal with them, we know what, what that's like, don't we? But then the double meaning here is that family matters, that, that family is significant, that family is important. That, that family should be a priority. And for most of you, and this is true for me too, there is nothing on this earth that matters more to me and more to you than, than your family. Come on, give me a good amen right there. And watch this. Because the family matters to you, and because we know that the family matters to God, you better believe that the family is going to be the single greatest target of the enemy. See, the enemy's primary responsibility is to make sure that there is always something, the matter, in your family. And you know this through your own experiences. If the enemy really wants to stir up conflict, if the enemy really wants to stir up a fuss, if the enemy really wants to mess with you, where does he attack you? In the family, where it hurts the most. He goes after the most precious thing to you. I mean, come on, if the enemy's really out to get us, and he won't stop with making sure that there's something wrong or something to matter with our family. And again, I wish I had time to go back into, into week number one, but let me just give you a brief, really brief synopsis of what we talked about. We kind of laid the foundation of the series. It's one of the reasons that I love series over sermons, because in a series we can have ongoing conversations. Uh, let me just show you real quick what we talked about a little bit. We talked about the family structure. Now, you're already, you're like me, you're reading through each point, right, and, and especially ladies, when you get to point number two, we talked about this, the blood pressure starts to rise because of the emancipation of women, and you're like, hey, I'm a woman, hear me roar, I submit to no man. Okay, don't, don't get frustrated at the Bible here, I want you to go back and listen, but let me tell you what Jesus was teaching, and what Paul in Ephesians and, and Colossians was writing about, they were actually elevating the status of, of women and children, they they were, they were allowing women to have a voice. They were allowing children to have a voice because in the era in which this was written, women and children had as much value as about a cow. And so now, now they're saying, hey, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands, not because you're less than, not because you're not important, but according to Scripture, the husband should be the headship of the home okay so so the bible isn't saying that that the, you should be the man of your house the bible is saying that you should be the godly man of your house big difference there by the way he goes on and he says children obey your parents come on parents give me a really good amen right there and just nudge your kid that's beside you regardless of their age okay and then then he and then he writes this and he says and fathers don't exasperate your kids don't annoy your children Now, this is my moment of therapy, so let me just share an incident that happened this weekend on Friday. uh, We picked up my son from school, and we went to dinner, and it was such a a nice day. We decided to go outside and throw the old football around. There's a problem with me in sports, and there's a problem with me in board games. As a matter of fact, there's a problem with me in any kind of game. I'm very competitive. Anybody with me out there? Come on, somebody, just let's be honest. So, So I don't care if my son is eight or if he's 80, when we play, we play to win. Come on, somebody help me out for a minute. And so, and don't, don't let the old man fool you, by the way, okay? Don't let the skinny jeans make you think this boy ain't got no game. And my son, before we even started the game, he began to run his mouth. <laughs> calling me old, calling me slow. All of the, it, it was just like he was, the eight-year-old boy was taunting me, I'm telling you. And so we were playing this game. We have flags on. He was chasing me around. I'm just going to be honest. That day, he learned who really was the greatest showman. Yeah, there we go. Come on. The Heisman Trophy winner in the household. And so so I'm just putting it on him touchdown after touchdown, and he's getting more frustrated, you know, and then I'm like dabbing in the end zone, and he's really, really frustrated. And so, you know, I look over at Kimberly, who is the cheerleader of the family, but what I'm learning about our marriages is that Kimberly's cheerleading and her pom-poms really are more for the kids than they are for me. And that bothers me, too. So the more she cheered for him, the more I had to turn it on. Come on, dads. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So I'm, I'm scoring left and right. And all of a sudden, Lakeland starts to have some tears in his eyes. And I'm like, come on, man, grow up. I told him, I was like, look, if you want to win, you got to stop me. To be the best, you got to beat the best. So Kimberly, this is what Kimberly does. She's like, sweetie, come here real quick. So I'm like, all right, now she's going to recognize my greatness and i run over and she lends and leans in like this i thought she's gonna put a kiss on my lips she leans in she says remember that sermon that you taught on sunday she said the part about fathers not annoying their children she's like you're being really annoying right now she was like let him win i was like as a matter of fact i do remember that and remember when i talked about wives submitting no i didn't say that i'm just kidding i ain't going there baby there ain't no way ain't no way that's going to happen. And the truth is, is when we look at this and then we lay, lay this, which is very idealistic. Come on. This is like how many households operate like this? Husbands are always loving on their wives and wives are saying, whatever you feel is best for the family, we'll make that decision together. And the children, they come in, they're like, yes, father. Yes, mother. Don't worry about the dishes. I'll take care of those. You've worked all day to provide this meal. The least, I, come on somebody, you'd think your kid was on drugs. Help me out for a minute. <laughs> and the father's like, I don't, I don't want to be annoying today. Come on everybody, let's just sit around and just hug. This, this, no, this is idealistic. And what happens is, is when we lay this structure over the top of our current family reality, here's what happens. You and I, we see a gap. We see a gap. And the gap is created because as a family we know know where we should be headed and then we identify where we really are. It's the difference between what is ideal and what is real. Come on, help me out for a minute. It's the difference between where we are and where we want to be. It's the difference between this is us and this should be us. And there is this gap. And over time, if we refuse to address the gap, it won't shrinken, it will widen. Come on, help me out for a minute. And maybe you're here today, and, and you're not a Christian. And so you know, all of this talk about the Bible's structure of the family and the enemy coming against the family, it doesn't line up with your ideology. But I think the truth is this, and all of us, I believe, could agree, most of the pain that we feel. And you feel pain and I feel pain. Most of that pain, whether we're believers or non-believers, it comes from our family. comes from our family or it comes towards our family. You know this. You and I can talk about our family, but nobody else can. When somebody else starts talking about our family, then our blood pressure really does start to rise. And the pain that we feel can be caused from the family Or towards the family. And one of the things that I'm constantly learning is that while God paints for us a picture of the ideal family, we have to look at where we are. And I I pray this. I pray that all of us could agree on the driving thought of this series today. All of us in the room, that we could agree on this. We may not be where we want to be, but we will not settle for less than what we should be. Uh, Come on, somebody give me a better amen. Than that I recognize that we may not have it all together I understand that that our Facebook family photos look a little bit different than everybody else's I know that there's challenges in my house I know that there's conflict in my house I, I know that there's issues that need to be addressed in my house but but I wish that somebody in this room would declare that although we may not be perfect we refuse to settle let me just speak this word over your household, over your marriage, over your family. Your best days are not behind you. Your best days are in front of you if you'll refuse to settle for what the reality is. Come on, somebody say amen right there. God says that when you're in relationship with him that you are more than conquerors, meaning that by him and through him you can overcome every adversity, every... D- I'm, I'm, I'm about to give myself an offering because y'all ain't helping nobody today. That you are more than conquerors. But, but you've got to refuse to settle for the status quo. So many of us, we have structured our family based on what society says. Based off of what Hollywood says or what TV says or what radio says or whatever that looks like. Why, why don't we try it God's way? Come on, somebody. Why don't we give God a try to come into our homes, to come into our families, To put inside of us this realization that we do not have to settle. We don't have to settle. Your marriage has not seen its best day. Your relationship, mom, with your daughter has not seen its best day. Your relationship, dad, with your son has not seen its best day if you refuse to settle for what is normal. Because church, normal is not working. We need to reevaluate the structure of the family. And if, if you, in your mind, if you can go back to the picture of that gap, you know what's inside of it because you live it. You experience it. I'll tell you what it is. It's brokenness. Inside of that gap between where we should be going and where we really are, it's filled with brokenness. It's filled with divorce. It's filled with substance abuse. It's filled with addiction. It's filled with affairs. In that that gap is conflict and division. In that gap is brokenness. And that's that's what I want to talk about today. The broken family, the broken home, the broken marriage, the broken relationship between mother, daughter, father, son, mom, dad, sister, brother, brother. The brokenness, the conflict that, that's, that's there. As a matter of fact, here's how the Bible says it. The Bible says it in Matthew chapter number 12. And, and let me just say this. In 1858, President Abraham Lincoln made a speech called A House Divided. And he quoted Matthew chapter 12. That was a long time ago, but I just came to tell somebody Jesus said it first. It says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Let me step on my political soapbox for a moment, and then I'll hop right back off. Every nation, study history, and you have, every nation, every great nation, that when they became so proud of their promise and potential and the reality of their success, once they began to have conflict within the nation, they crumbled at their core. And I'm telling you that if something does not change in the United States of America, If the Republican Party and the Democratic Party can't figure out how to get along, come on, somebody. We're in real trouble. And one day, it may not be in this generation or the next generation, but one day it may not be the United States. It might be the divided states. Because every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And he goes on. He says, you don't care about your country? Well, in your city, every every city divided against itself will be ruined. He says, maybe your country doesn't matter, maybe your city doesn't matter, but your household, he says, every household divided against itself will not stand. I I love the scripture and how it reads, but uh, for today, let me show you one more. It's Matthew 12, verse 25, but it's the message translation, and it says this. A family that's in a constant squabble disintegrates. A family that is filled with conflict, filled with arguing, filled with all of those nasty things inside of, inside of that gap. If not confronted, if not handled, if not fixed, that family will disintegrate. That means it will cease to exist. Your household will crumble. Your marriage will fail. Your relationship with your kids will be over if there is constant arguing and squabbling and conflict and the gap is widened so here's what i want to do today and i want to transition for a moment and just tell you that this is going to be really practical Very practical, and I hope that's okay. I pray that at the end of our conversation this morning, you can leave here with a few nuggets that you can hold on to, that you can apply to your family, your house, your marriage, your relationship with your kids or siblings, like, immediately. Like a nugget or two that you could hold on to, and this is what I want to do. I want to show you, and there's a lot more content than we have time for, but I want to give you just five steps to restoring a broken family. Five, Five steps to restoring a broken family, to restoring a broken home, to restoring that broken marriage. I want you to see these. And again, a lot more info than I can share, but here are five really practical things that I, I believe that you can, you can really be encouraged by and, and somewhat challenged by as well. Number one is this. Let me encourage you. you got to take some notes. Come on, write some notes somewhere. Uh, it'll help you in the future. And if you're not going through something in your family, you can pass them along. Number one is this. We've got to stop pointing fingers at everybody else. We've got to stop pointing fingers at everyone else. Here's the deal, and forgive me for my bluntness, okay? But you're used to that kind of preaching anyway. Amen. Well, let, let me say this to you: for too long, far too long, many of us in this room—and I'm, I'm including myself in this conversation—but we have we have blamed our negative. Upbringings, our dysfunctional upbringings, the hurt of a previous relationship, we blamed our socioeconomic disadvantages, we've tried to find whatever hardships we can find so that we can justify why we are the way we are and why we act the way we act. Let me tell you something. People live their entire lives playing the blame game. Now, now I'm not rejecting some of the challenges that you've been through. You've been through a lot, and I've been through a lot. But at some point, we have to, and again, forgive me for being blunt, but at some point, we got to grow up and take ownership of our issues. Come on, say amen right there. It is impossible to be right 100% of the time. But you know what we do? We wrestle with owning our issues. And if not careful watch this if you continue to point fingers if you continue to play that blame game here's what happens habitual blaming produces bitterness blaming produces resentment blaming produces hatred and blaming will produce powerlessness where you don't even have power anymore to be free you you become you become a slave To blaming everybody else to pointing fingers at everybody else let me ask you a really hard question it's rhetorical meaning i don't need you to answer aloud it's just for you to chew on today and in the next few days when's the last time you openly admitted you were wrong come on son daughter father mother the last time you said hey that that's on that's on me and watch this every time you point fingers every time you cast blame Every time, every time you play that blame game, it is a waste of time. 100% of the time, it's a waste of time. Watch, watch this. Write, write this thought down. As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you make it everybody else's fault that you're unhappy, you're always going to be unhappy. Watch. It's like this. Every time that, every time that you say, well, what's well, his fault. It's her fault. They did this or they didn't do that or it's my dad's fault. It's it's my mom's fault. Every time we cast that blame, here's what we do. We take all of our happiness, every bit of happiness that we have and all of the potential for happiness that, that we're given. And we hand it off to the person that we're angry at. So we take all of that happiness. And we give it to the person that that we don't like, that we're frustrated at, and and, and we're unhappy with. And we take our happiness and we say, here, you have it. You take it. And you hold on to my happiness because I can't be happy until you make me happy. So whenever whenever you're ready to make me happy, then pass back my happiness. You, You hold on to it. And watch this. No matter how wrong everybody else is and no matter how right you are, playing that blame game keeps the focus off of you and you are the only one that can fix you yeah. nope nobody else can fix you yeah. we get angry don't we and for some of you watch this let me let me take a little side thought here for some of you you're pointing fingers at god you're blaming him because of filling the blame can I, can I just tell you, and again, I told you on Easter, it's my favorite verse, one of them in the Bible. Although God's ways are not like our ways and his thoughts aren't like our thoughts, God is not out to get you. God, God's not out to punish you. And I want to I tell you this too. And again, I want to be sensitive here because there are real emotion attached to the topic of family. But God did not make your husband cheat on you. God did not make your wife leave you. Listen to me. Stop Stop pointing fingers at people and stop pointing fingers at God. Because every time we play that blame game, we, we pass off our happiness and say, until you make me happy, I refuse to be happy. L- let me tell you this. I think that's one of the reasons that the Bible gives us the fruits of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy and not happiness. Because happiness is very circumstantial. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. Meaning no matter what comes our way, we can operate and live in joy. Come on, right there. Somebody say amen. Here's another thought. Write this down. You can can blame your way into the future. You just can't blame your way into a better future. So we're all going somewhere, aren't we? And on that journey that you and I are taking, we can blame our way into that future, but we will never be able to blame our way into a better future. Let me go back to this thought here again. Watch. Watch. Just because you grew up in a dysfunctional home does not justify you cheating on your spouse. Just because you were in an unhealthy relationship in college that ended wrong or just because you lost your job that you loved so much does not justify the verbal abuse you put on your family. It's not fair. It's wrong. It's unhealthy. We must take ownership of our actions. At some point, we have to own it. Because the brokenness that's in your household is not everybody else's fault. There's an old saying, and, and you know that you know this, you've heard it, you might even have said it. If you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. So every time you cast blame, and I'm spending a lot more time in points one and two or steps one and two on purpose, but every, every time that you cast blame, you refuse to be a part of the solution. And you're creating a wider gap, a bigger gap. Let me show you this. Imagine imagine if all of your family's problems, whatever they were, all of them, every conflict, every stress, every disobedient child. Come on, parents. Every financial burden, every addiction that's pushing you and your spouse or you and your children further away from each other. Imagine all of it. Every bit of dysfunction in your household, all of it. Imagine if it was represented in this circle, in this pie, 100%. Now, if I asked you individually, how much of 100% are you personally responsible for? In most marriage counseling sessions that I provide, uh, I'll draw on a piece of paper this circle, and I'll ask the husband, Husband, how much of this, draw it for me, how much of this do you own? wives how much of this do you want? And you would be overwhelmed, and maybe you wouldn't be, that very few husbands and wives refuse to claim any of it. But look, just just for conversation, would you say that this much was yours? Would you own a small percentage of all of the problems? And the truth is, no. Absolutely not. Because the moment that I accept responsibility for the brokenness or the dysfunction in my household is the moment I lose all of the leverage to play the blame game. And what, let me, let me say it to you like this, watch. When I own my slice, I have to be nice. <laughs> and I don't want to be nice. I don't want to, that's some of you. I know I refuse to be nice. And so it's easier for me To put all of the conflict on somebody else. Because the moment that I own my slice of the issues, then I have to be nice to them. And I I don't want to do it. And so many of us, we would rather point fingers than accept responsibility. Because when we accept it, then it's ours. We've got to stop pointing fingers. We've got to stop placing blame on everybody else. Because your life, listen to me, listen to me. This isn't on this TV, but you need to write this thought down. Your life can only change if you accept responsibility for it. Your life can only change if you accept responsibility for it. Again, I'm not whitewashing the hardships of your adolescence and your childhood. But I'm telling you, you are not, you do not have to be a product of somebody else's sin. God has given all of us the opportunity to be free. Come on, come on. You you don't have to be just like your mother or just like your father. God created you with a purpose and a calling, and you can be free. The Bible says, whom the Son set free is free indeed. You're free if you choose to be free. And it starts with stop pointing fingers. Everybody good? Come on, give Jesus a round of applause if you're good. Number two. The second step in restoring a broken family, we've got to attack the problem and not the person. You've got to attack the problem and not the person. Remember, the last two weeks now, we've talked about that biblical family structure. And we said, wait a minute, that is very idealistic. Do you, you know why it's so idealistic? Because you and I are very individualistic. Come on, we're... We are a self-centered generation. You don't believe me? iPhone. iPod. I need an upgrade. Come on, somebody help me out. (laughs) Social media. Why do you think social media is so popular? Because you get to tell everybody about I. It's my world. And I get to put on a front about however I want people to think my life is. So when we look at the Bible and how the Bible says, because there's mutual submission, there there is a call to the authority that is above us. We wrestle with that idealistic approach because we're stubborn. It's quiet. I knew it would be. We're, We're determined that we want things to go our way. And so we refuse to let go of our stubbornness, and we will fight tooth and nail to drive our own personal agenda. Won't we? But come on. Your whole life, you've heard, you've heard things like this. Uh, There's no I in team. We're only as strong as our weakest link. We've got to pull together. You've heard those? But I'm telling you, broken couple after broken couple, broken marriage after broken marriage, broken family after broken family, and this is without exception. They're in a power struggle. and rather, And rather than attacking the problem... They attack the person. Rather than, than fighting the real issue, they, they fight against one another. And it's, it's not surprising to me that many of you came here today exhausted. You came here today beat down. You, you came here today bruised and fatigued and overwhelmed and on the verge of calling it quits because you've been fighting the wrong fight. And let me tell you, fighting the wrong fight is an exhausting battle. And one that nobody ever wins. And so when people, when I ask people, hey, how are you? And they're honest in a moment of transparency and they say, I'm tired. Yes, I know you are. Because you've been fighting the wrong fight. Come on. Don't you know that's true? That's why Paul, Paul, he addressed this issue. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he lays out that family structure. And then in the very next chapter, Ephesians 6, he he takes a, a hard left turn. And here's what he says. He says, "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the what? Schemes of the devil." He's addressing who and what the problem is. And he goes on. He says this, "For our fight for our struggle is not against mother and daughter it's not against father and son. Our fight is not against husband and wife. It's not against your sister who you haven't called in two years and you refuse to go to Thanksgiving dinner because of some feud you had years ago. He says, that's not the bite. That's not the fight. It's not the issue. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. And he calls the problem and who the problem is. He calls it out. He says, but again, say it with me. Rulers. Against the what? powers against the what world forces of this what darkness against the who spiritual forces of what in the heavenly places watch this just as real as the world that you and I are sitting in today just as real as you can see my face and I can see your face there is a real spirit realm and just like there are angels in heaven rejoicing there are demonic forces a sign to destroy your family your fight is not against flesh and blood your fight is against your adversary and i've come to tell somebody greater is he on the inside of us than he that's in the world come on oh come on you ought to give me a better amen than that right there And the devil is on assignment. And the devil is trying to to destroy your home. Divorce is his objective. Dysfunction is his goal. And the death of your family is his desire. You know what the greatest day for the enemy is? Is when you sign those divorce papers. Some of that is justifiable. Don't stay in an abusive relationship. It's not fair. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about people giving up in the middle of the fight because they're tired. Yes, you're tired because you've been fighting the wrong fight. But when you recognize who the real enemy is, everything changes. Paul, Paul continues. Let me give you the Bible because what the Bible says is far better than anything. I can say he goes on and this is what he says. He says, therefore, take up half the armor of God. Put on part of the armor of God. No, no, no. He says, listen to me. The spiritual warfare that you're facing against your family is an all-out arsenal attack. You need the entire armor of God so that you will be able to do what? Resist. James says it this way. Resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Watch. Stand firm. Therefore, girded your loins with truth. Stop having an affair. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Maintain the integrity and the purity of your heart for your family. Watch this. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When you walk in your home, are you walking into a home filled with peace? Or division and dysfunction? In addition to all of that, taking up the shield of faith. With which you will be able, let's read this together. These highlighted yellow words, beginning with the word extinguish on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three. Extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil. Watch this. Let me go back. Verse 17. Take on the helmet of salvation because there's some emotional stuff going on right here. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Read the Bible. Not, not individualistically, but corporately as a family. Get your family together and say, you know what? We will not settle for how things are right now. We're going to go back to the good book. Come on, somebody. Watch what he says. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. I, I, I feel like I'll talk about this throughout this series at some point, but I feel really excited right now, so I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. What if the next time that conflict rears its ugly head in your household, the next time your disobedient child spouts out something smart aleck in return or you and your your spouse, you start to disagree and argue, what if in that moment you stood up, come on, godly men, and you said, stop in the name that is above all names which is the name of Jesus Christ, I will not let my family go down this road again. As a matter of fact, stop the fighting. Stop the arguing. Lift your hands, family, in the name of Jesus. I pray right now that every demonic force against whatever your household's name is, that it will be banished in the name of Jesus. Come on. I pray right now, as the husband of this household, devil, pick on some other family because whom the son set free is free indeed. And for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Woo! Pray at all times. In the good, in the bad, and the ugly. In spite of... Don't stop praying. The Bible tells us in another scripture, pray without ceasing. Man, I wonder what would happen. Forgive me here. But I wonder what would happen if you prayed for your family as much as you gossiped about your family. I think I'll keep moving on. And with this in view, be on the alert. Somebody say alert. Alert. With all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I like that because he's saying you're not the only one going through some stuff everybody's got some stuff they're dealing with. And I want you to lean in here and I'll give you the next few points. Watch this. As long as you're fighting against your family instead of fighting for your family, the brokenness in your family, in your household will never be reconciled. Let me give you some good advice. Listen to me. Drop your guard. Stop pointing fingers. Come on, drop your guard. Stop pointing fingers. Stop attacking the people that actually believe in you the most. Even if they're 100% absolutely wrong, let it go. I'm not, I'm not preaching a forgive and forget type of gospel. It's impossible to forgive and forget. Forgiveness is the opposite of forgetting. Forgiveness is remembering everything that family member did to you and then choosing to move on from it. What I'm saying to you is this. Stop attacking the wrong it's the enemy that wants you dead. And your happiness is not contingent upon somebody else making you happiness. It's the joy that comes from Jesus Christ. Come on, one more time. It's a great place to put your hands together. Everybody good? You got a few more minutes? All right, let me give you the third step here. The third step in restoring a broken family. I really pray that this is good for you. I pray it's, it's applicable to you, that it's helpful for you. And that you leave here with a greater determination to not settle. Amen. To not settle. I, mean, I want what's best for my family. Anybody with me? Yes. I, don't, I don't want my son and my daughter to make some of the same choices that I made and my dad made and my dad's dad made. I want to take the authority given to me through the word of God and say, you know what? Some of these strongholds, they stop here. Yes. Right here. Yes. We're not going to settle and just, and just say, well, it's always been that way. Well, it doesn't always have to be that way. Your God is bigger. Come on, somebody. Here's a third point. Let me keep going here. Point number three, seek counseling. Seek counseling. Let me make a general statement, and I'll throw it out there and see where it lands. But Counseling is not for crazy people. That yeah. 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 There is this. I, I really feel like the enemy has tried to market and advertise counseling in a negative way. That only crazy people need counseling. Counseling isn't for crazy people. Counseling is for people who just want to get better. Right, and I, just, I just want to get better. And the purpose of counseling is not so that a counselor can fix you. Nobody can fix you. Only you and God can fix you and your heart. So the purpose of counseling is not so that you can go... And pay for somebody to fix you. The purpose of counseling is for you to go so that you can be empowered to be free. So that you can be empowered to make wise decisions moving forward. Notice I didn't say right decisions. I said wise decisions. Because there are some arguments that you're right. But it's best to be wise in how you handle that disagreement. I I can hear some of the men in the room ain't no way i'm paying somebody to tell me all my problems i get that for free at home i don't know why i did that in some like deep southern cowita county accent the people in maryland are like what in the world is happening there ain't no way man i ain't going paying nobody for all that let me say this to you sir with all due respect two things number one that's not the purpose of a counselor to tell you all the things you're doing wrong and if that's a counselor you've been to in the past i apologize but number two and this one's going to sting a little bit deeper maybe it's that spirit of pride or you know what maybe it's not a spirit of pride maybe it's a spirit of fear maybe it's that fear that is at the root of the brokenness in your household listen to me i love my wife enough i love my children enough to do whatever i've got to do to help me be the best husband And the best father that I can be. And sometimes the issues that I deal with and the issues that you deal with, they surface, don't they? Sometimes it's not always a continual problem, but out of nowhere they surface. And the enemy, it's like throwing fuel on that issue. And some of the greatest advice Kimberly ever gave me was in a season where I was just kind of, I was going crazy in my mind and in my heart. She said, you need counseling. She didn't say it quite like that. That's how I heard it. And do you know what I wanted to say? No, you need counseling. Don't you tell me, I need counseling because I, I, I'm not going to own any of the percentage of this pie. but in a moment I thought, no, you're right. there are some things I'm dealing with that. I, I need help. The, Bi- the Bible says it like this. Let me give you scripture. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter, 11, it says, without good direction, people lose their way. But the more wise, what? Counsel Counsel you follow, the better your chances. And here at South Metro and at Go Church, we place a huge priority on the need for counseling. So much so that even here, like on our property, we have a full-time counselor and a full-time counseling center. Some of you are familiar with it. It's life back counseling with Peter Cimento. Let me tell you two reasons I love this ministry so much. Reason number one is because I'm not the best counselor. There, there's this misconception that, well, I've got problems. I need to see the pastor. Nobody else will do it. Let me, let me talk to the pastor. Let me just be honest. I'm not the best counselor. Right. And some of you are thinking, what kind of pastor is that? <laughs> An honest one. I don't I don't, I, I don't I don't mind counseling. I enjoy counseling, but look, most of the issues that you and I are going through, I can't fix in two or three sessions. I'm being honest. So I, I would much rather send you to somebody that's more educated, more experienced, and if I'm really being transparent, got more patience than I do. Because after a while, I just want to be like, "Hello!" Don't you see the problem? My God! my God, why can't they help each other? Why, all right, we got, we got to go, but I'm going to tell you one quick story. When we were in Maryland, there was this couple that needed to come for counseling, and I, I, obviously, I won't tell you their name, but they sat in my office, and they were yelling at each other, yelling. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Anybody ever seen on Social media, the Michael Jackson meme where he's eating popcorn. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That was me. I was so engaged. I was like, this is really good right now. Like, I was just eating popcorn. I mean, they're yelling at each other. He In, in the media, he called her fat. She called him ugly. It went back to my dad always just called me fat. I hate you. Cuss words. I mean, it was unbelievable. But they came in because of money problems. Like, it all started because of money problems. And all this yelling and all this... You should probably play or i'm gonna tell them no hold on one second (laughs) and so they're they're just going on we're in there like an hour an hour and a half and now i'm out of popcorn so i'm starting to get tired you know i'm thinking oh my goodness like jesus like you got to help them well mom we ain't got no money we can't pay the bills he said can we borrow money from the church i'll pay it back i was like look bro we ain't wells fargo we don't borrow money (laughs) you know all that money 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 i hate her Blah 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 The, the session ended with me praying for them and i said you know, you guys need to come back. We'll help you out. I walked them outside. True story. I walked them outside, and he hit the remote to a 2016 Mercedes-Benz. And I went, oh, no, you didn't, bro. Like, and honest, i am I looked at him. I said, for an hour and a half, I heard you complain about not having money, and you're driving that car, and I'm in a Kia? I was like, look, I'm going to be honest. I love both of you. I'm glad you're coming to church, but I'm not counseling either of you ever again. Sell the car! And I turned around and walked off. Sell the car. How are you going to come to me? I just, I wrestled with that. It's like we ain't got no money, and you're paying $600 a month for a car. Okay, anyway, here we go. Let me get back to this. Now you can play. Number four, let me give you these next two steps connected to each other and restoring a broken family, you've got to rebuild trust. Rebuild trust. Let me say it like this. Every relationship where trust has been manipulated is because of an unmet expectation. So you did not do something that you were expected to do. Or the opposite of that. And you missed the expectation. So my challenge to you is That you have to rebuild trust. And let me talk to you about this for just a second. I'll give you a point for step number five. This one right here is a process. They're all a process, but this one is a great process. And it starts with a few practical thoughts. The first one is this: you need to to rebuild trust in your Because every family has a unique dynamic to it. But get the heart behind this message here. You need to apologize. Now, you can't make them forgive you, right? You can't make them say, okay, hey, bring it in, hug it in, we're good now. But you can let them know that forgiveness is on the table. And that you're willing, even if you're right, to stop pointing fingers and say, I want to move on. The second thing you should do is you need to sit down and talk. You need to talk about what are the expectations that I'm missing? Like what's functioning well in our family and what's not functioning well in our family? We do this together as a staff. We should try it as a family. Ask these questions. What's right? What's wrong? What's missing? What's confusing? What's right, wrong, missing, confusing? So that you can set some of the expectations and the standards moving forward. Another thing you can do to rebuild trust, you can actually spend time together. You can delete social media from your phone because there are pictures in other families that you're looking at that get more attention than your actual family sitting in the living room with you. Dads, moms, I get it. You're working hard to make ends meet, but watch this. Your children will only be small once. One time. And they grow up, and they grow up fast. There won't be many more flag football games that my eight-year-old boy gets. You think I'm going to miss one? Not if these legs can walk. And even if they can't, Kim is going to roll me in that joint. (laughs) Kimberly and I said the other day, man, this is the fastest time has ever flown in our lives. I blink and it's Sunday again. Feel that way? What if we spent time together? Parents, what if you said no to some overtime hours so that you could go to the ball game or go to your daughter's performance? Let me tell you, they would appreciate that more than whatever money that you earn and save to buy them something. Materialism is not what they desire. They desire quality time with mom and dad. Come on, yeah. And the best way, the best way to rebuild trust is actually our fifth step, and it's this invite God into the gap. When you see that gap, and you see all of the stuff that's filled in that gap the brokenness, the hurt, the pain, etc. The only one that can be the bridge to connect the gap is Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen to me, you have to invite Him into the gap. Because without without God in the mix, without Jesus in the mix, you're only going to keep spinning your wheels. And the more you spin your wheels, come on, you know this. The deeper you go in the ground, but you go nowhere in distance. You just get deeper and deeper and deeper. There's an old song, and these are the words. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Look, there's a part that you and I play in bringing the gap closer and closer. There's a part that you and I play in not settling for the status quo of the household. But we'll never end up where we desire to be if Jesus isn't invited into the gap. He is the great equalizer. Come on. You can testify to this it all starts with Jesus with Jesus so many marriages let me talk about that and then we'll pray look like this him on one side her on the other side it's a tug-of-war match back and forth fighting pulling tension conflict hatred they're, they're not in unity they're in disunity they're not in agreement they're in division they're fighting you, you see that it's a rope it's a tug-of-war but really What it looks like with God is more like this. Right here. And and this is what I love. The closer that him and her move towards God, the closer they move towards one another. Getting closer together won't ultimately put you closer to God. But getting closer to God will ultimately put you closer to your spouse. Getting closer to God will put you closer together with your children. Come on. You've got to work on your relationship with Jesus, because the closer we move toward God, the closer we move towards each other.